Building a business ain't easy. It takes hard work, dedication, and strength. This is Success Failed with Philip Long. Must know tips for executives going through the trials and tribulations of growing their own business. Now, here's your host, Philip Long. Welcome to Success Failed with Philip Long. We've got a great show in line for you today. We're going to start off first with the cyber attack, and this has to do with a major uh, cybersecurity company called CrowdStrike, and I'm going to go over some indexes that they've put together in their latest report. You're not going to want to miss that, as well as I have a very special guest, Mr. Josh Knoll. He is a financial planner, and he is also the owner of the podcast called Every Dollar Counts, which you're not going to want to miss that. And then we're going to end with the thought of the month. So let's jump right in. Cyber attack analysis. Let's break it down. Okay, for Breach of the Month, I want to talk a little bit about something that CrowdStrike has come out with, and they're calling it the 2021 Global Threat Report. And one interesting fact inside of the Global Threat Report is something that they are calling the E-Crime Index. And let me explain a little bit what that is. This is a way to measure the underground economy is on a global market scale so that we can understand the ebbs and flows of this cyber criminal ecosystem. So they have devised and computed a value to assess the state of e-crime and the velocity by which it is changing. Well, this is something new, and they're calling it the E-Crime Index, you know, ECX, and it's based on various observables weighted by impact that are continually being monitored by CrowdStrike subject matter. So this is something very interesting. Currently, as of February 22nd, 2021, the E-Crime Index is at 328. Point three six. Well, the thing that is alarming about that is that since twelve twenty eight, you know, December twenty eighth, two thousand twenty, there has been an increase of one hundred and twenty four percent. So, if that was in the stock market, we'd all be cheering. But of course, this being in the uh, the bad actors' activity and their even their successfulness and their impact in bad activity, that's something that we're certainly not cheering on. And very interesting report, very thorough, and wanted to get to one other area where we were where it showed a little bit about the industries that are being hit the heaviest are to be um, you know suspected to be hit the heaviest inside of the next 12 months. Well, the top of the chart is industrial and engineering, second is manufacturing, third technology, then retail, and then healthcare, financial services, professional services, government, logistics, legal, hospitality. Then it falls off pretty drastically after energy. So those are going to be the top areas that the bad actors are trying to hit. And we've learned a new term called the e-crime index. Interview an expert. Now, let me introduce you. Welcome to another episode of Success Failed with Philip Long. I have a special guest today, uh, Mr. Josh Knoll. He is with Gulf Coast Financial Advisors, and he is a financial advisor in Fairhope, Alabama. And he has a very unique approach to how he gathers uh, new clients as well as how he engages them initially. Welcome to the show. Hey, Philip. How are you doing? 
I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, listen, I know a little bit about you, and I think you really have a pretty unique background as it relates to a financial planner. I know that you're very different in a lot of ways. Kind of tell me a little bit about, I know you were a builder at one point. Tell me kind of just a brief history of of how you got where you are today. Sure. Yeah, Philip, I'd say to be fair, you know, if someone were to try to follow my path and to become a financial advisor, I would warn them ahead of time. It's a, a long and winding and debris-strewn path, right? A brief history is I grew up pretty rural, southeast Missouri. We grew up doing construction. Actually, you know, we make a joke about it, but I went to college to get away from that. You know, we, we all worked really hard, was proud of what we did, uh, worked with my dad. I had a great, great life growing up, but it was always pretty evident early that if I was going to really be a success in life, I needed to use my brains versus my brawn. And so I went to college, studied uh, finance, studied economics, and came out of college, you know, bright young college boy, country boy, moved to Kansas City, had married Jen at the time, and uh, went to work for corporate America. And, you know, I didn't do terrible. I was a fine uh, employee, but it really was not a good fit. I think product was I really wasn't in the right industry for my talents. Plus, my background made it a little unusual to be sitting in a cube. I'd never done that before. And so what happened pretty quickly, this would have been late 90s, uh, early 2000s, is uh, I started looking at some land to build a house. Ended up buying a significant piece of land, about 80 acres. There's a whole story behind that. But we bought 80 acres, decided to build myself a house, build my in-laws a house, and build a help a buddy build a house there. During the course of building that, uh, you know, I'm trying to work this separate corporate job and run back and forth at a job site and everything. Well, a couple people took notice of the level we were doing. And that's really more a testimony to the upbringing. My, my parents and my, my dad and my uncles and my aunts even had built houses. So I'd been around it, kind of knew what I was doing to, for the most part. You know, you always learn on the job. But uh, built some houses, got some notice, and all of a sudden I had people wanting me to build them houses. Well, you know, started getting into that and just, you know, if you relate, remind your time frame during that time period, this would have been 2001, 2003, you know, when the real estate yeah, market was hot. Like, yeah, now we didn't, I didn't know. I mean, I studied economics in college, but that was supply and demand. That was not bubbles. You know, we didn't really, we knew the dot-com thing, but we didn't think about it with real estate. But the reality of it is we had a, a heck of a run, uh, ended up building quite a few homes, developed a couple neighborhoods, did some high-level remodels, and everything, Philip, everything looked really, really solid. Even, you know, 2006, 2007, we were sitting on pretty good ground. 2008 comes along and just changes that overnight, you know, just completely upends our world overnight. I find myself early 2009, basically, I'm not a home builder anymore because there's not any homes to build. I've got a college degree, but I don't have much else going for me. Didn't know, you know, what direction to head. And, uh, you know, again, I'll, you'll hear me credit my dad and my parents multiple times. But my dad said, you know, them, them guys that do that finance thing and that insurance thing that you studied in college, they seem to be doing OK right now. I said, you know, you're probably right, Dad. So I took a uh, job. I was a road warrior for five years. I worked in rural communities in Missouri, Arkansas and part of Tennessee. And I would go into small towns and I would help uh, farmers, guys on construction companies, things of that nature. I'd help them put in like insurance type benefits, right? And as time rolled on and I started to learn the business more and more, I knew that I always wanted to get into the planning side. So we just kept building, kept working. And eventually that path led us down here to the Gulf Coast and eventually to the founding of Gulf Coast Financial Advisors. So that's a high level explanation of the path that led me here. Gotcha. Let me ask you, just like when you were doing construction, was that something that you got up in the morning and were, you know, was happy to do and that was a passion and it was something that you thought you'd do forever? Well, there was a time. So 
to when I first got into it, you know, you're so I was so young and it was so new and it was so exciting that absolutely. I mean, we really we knew at the time, hey, we got something kind of cool going here. And we, we really put our, our, our shoulders into it. And we had uh, we had a, a pretty large operation for, you know, for where we started, especially on the custom home side. So and the other thing I did that, you know, I didn't realize at the time was was made it more enjoyable is I took my love of history and I put it into the homes. So I was, you know, bringing in old beams and old floors and, you know, stuff that we would reclaim and using that to make these new houses look really old. So that part of it, Philip, I loved. I loved the design phase of it. I loved the creation of it. I, you know, people would hire me not only to build their house, but I would do some of the interior decorating. Loved it. The problem was, and I expressed this to my dad probably around 2004 or 2005, I said, Dad, there's only one problem here. I said, I don't spend my, most of my time being a home builder. I spend most of my time pushing paper and being a marriage counselor because I was doing high-level custom homes. Sure. And I think, you know, looking back now, would I have had a good life if 08 hadn't happened, if I'd kept going down that road as a home builder? Yeah, probably. I'd probably made a good life, uh, especially with the creative side of it. The problem came with the uh, the project management of the different sides. The uh, I, was a, I was more of an artist when many times I needed to be more of a number cruncher. I viewed my homes as, this sounds so bad, but I viewed my homes as works of art. And sure. you know, I would tell people sometimes, you know, painting, you're painting and as it comes along, it's going to come out a little more vibrant, maybe a little different than what you originally anticipated. Well, that's a fancy way of saying that we may have cost overruns. So I was really bad about leaving money on the table. I would spend the money to do something to the level I wanted. And instead of being methodical about it and practical about it, you know, with change orders, things like that, I would just do it and I would just eat it. Right. So it was a fancy way to, to make a living, you know, whereas I might have had a, let's say, a 10 or 12 percent margin on a, on a home. By the time I was done, I had a six to eight percent margin. And we always joke. I don't know how much you know, but, you know, I know you've done some custom home building, but, you know, guys operating those margins in the custom home business eventually work themselves out of a job. They yeah. do. 08 is what brought the hammer down. We would have survived without 08, but I would have had to have cleaned up that side of the house at some point, no sure. doubt. You know, I build apartments. I've got partners. We build apartments, and we're doing some development now. And you really have to be careful. I could see that for sure because you have to be careful because of the fact that, you know, you can't build a spec house for you to live in. Right. You know, and uh, I could see that getting away. Knowing you, I could see that getting away. You're trying to put that extra touch on it. Right. And you really maybe didn't sell that extra touch. And sometimes that extra touch, while in a custom home, is, is has some value. But when you're building for the general market, you know, you may spend, an, um, you know, several thousand dollars on some beams and you're never going to get that value back out. Yeah. I you know, was too young to really know the difference in that line. I, I wanted to treat it as a work of art versus treating it as a business. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Somebody would have have to just be in love with that beam yep. and the market for that is probably pretty small. It narrows it sure. down. You know, I, foolishly, I would say, you know, I don't I don't build for the, the 99 out of 100. I build for the one out of 100. Well, when the market's going, you know, crazy, balls out, all that all the time, well, that's fine. There's still yeah. one out of 100. When the market crashes, you know, the only guys that really kind of made it through were the guys that kind of dotted their I's and crossed their T's and had cash reserves because they had properly charged in the past, right? Absolutely. Right. Sure. Okay, so that comes, and then you know, of course, I get it. You're uh, you're like, well, the market's probably on the rise at this point, so there's opportunities. But you you mentioned that you sold insurance. Mm-hmm. What types of insurance? So we were, uh, for the most part, we would tease ourselves, but we were kind of like a country version of Aflac. So we would go in into communities where typically uh, Aflac or group benefits would not serve, and you know, we'd come in and we'd work primarily with farmers, self-employed businesses, construction people. 
that were in communities, you know, often the towns I were in were a thousand people or less where, you know, typically you wouldn't have access to those group benefits. So we'd, we would come in and, and place those benefits, help those folks out. A lot of times if something significant happened in their life accident or, or they got sick, we would be the one that they would call on. We're sitting here in Deep Fried Studios, downtown Mobile, recording this. Uh, so Johnny, the producer, has heard this story before, but I learned a lot from that business. I learned kind of sales 101. Uh, you know, how to get out, how to prospect, how to knock doors and all that. But what I was not learning, what I was desiring to learn was how to kind of help people with their bigger picture. Okay, fine. I'm the guy they call if, you know, they get cancer unexpectedly, but I want to be the guy they call when they're trying to put away money that is going to fund their future retirement. And that's really where the, we started morphing the direction we were heading. Gotcha. So did that door knocking, the cold calls, is that something that, that you enjoy? You know, some guys really enjoy that, the challenge of it. Or, and then, but, you know, a lot of times it's just a lot of drudgery, right? I mean, you got to be pretty, you got to be an unusual character to enjoy it too much. I, I did it at the time, quite honestly, because I had to. Uh, you know, I was coming on the heels of basically a financial disaster with a construction company and all that. And so I had to get out there. I had to make money. I had to make it quick. Yep. So, no, to say I enjoyed the door knocking and all that, not necessarily, but I was, again, now at this point, I'm, you know, I'm pushing my mid-30s, but I'm new to this business. So I didn't know there was any other way. I thought that is just how you went out and you just knocked a bunch of doors and you bothered a bunch of people and you showed up and, and that's how you built it, right? Um, as I started learning the business and, and really getting into it, I thought, oh my gosh, there there are guys doing this in a completely different fashion. And then, you know, if you if you're looking at that time frame, Philip, you know, oh nine when I started doing that, 2010, 11, 12, that's when social media started coming into play. Sure. So an, a huge eye opener for me was I was working in a small town in uh, northern Missouri, and I went to I got referred to a, a matriarch, a lady that owned a plumbing company, and I show up. And typically back then, when I would show up to introduce myself, you know, I, I was that's first time they'd ever met me. Well, I show up, and the lady says, "Oh, I know who you are. They're ta- they're all talking about you." I said, well, who's talking about me? She goes, oh, I'm on Facebook. They said, uh, guy's running around and he's doing insurance and whatnot. I said, Facebook? Well, what'd they say? Well, they said, you're a nice guy. And at the time, I, it had an impact on me, but not huge. It wasn't until I got to look at it later and realize, oh my gosh, there's a conversation happening online. And I am not part of it at all. That could have been really beneficial or really detrimental. I had no control over that conversation. I was just a product of, of a victim of either way it would have gone. Yeah. Crowdsourcing. The neighbors were just uh, were just talking. Yeah. Look out, guys. There's a guy in the neighborhood knocking doors. Right. That's right. I got you. That's exactly but right. But he's a nice guy. And thankfully, Fortunately. Yeah. Thankfully, I'm a nice guy at my root, right? So that yeah. kind of helped. But that was, you know, you look back now, that was kind of the seed planted there. Didn't realize till later. I was, the company I worked for then was out of Northern Iowa. I'm originally from Southeast Missouri, which, you know, you will chuckle all you Southern boys down here, but, you know, Southeast Missouri had more in common with Memphis than it did with the rest of, of Missouri, right? It was a pretty Southern-ish, country-ish upbringing. So for those Northern uh, Iowa guys, I was their Southern guy. Yeah. So they tasked me with kind of developing the Southern territories and working my way down. Well, I'll save you the long story short, but as we eventually worked a and figured out we wanted to live down here in Fairhope, Alabama, which for those, those of you all not familiar with uh, the area, we're down here just a little bit north of the Gulf of Mexico, about 25 miles-ish north of the beaches of Alabama. It's a beautiful place to live. So glad we landed here. But as I, you know, when I came down here and really I went ahead and completed my contract with that company, it was a five-year contract, I went ahead and pivoted and uh, hooked up with a local mutual company. 
And here's the point of that story is when I came into that relationship, Philip, I thought, okay, I came out of this really traditional sales 101, knocking doors, Zig Ziglar, you know, type of environment. And now, man, they're going to show me all the secrets of all the marketing things that I didn't know on how to build a practice, you know, from the ground up and everything like that. And to be fair, the people that worked there at the mutual company were wonderful. I had a fantastic managing partner named Matt Williams, a great people I worked with. But from an organizational standpoint, they really were not teaching us anything different than what I had done when I was knocking doors on the yeah. road. Here's the phone. Here's the phone book. And- right. Good luck. Yeah. And and so, you know, you can replay those years over time. I mean, social media is on the scene and it's just getting more and more prevalent every year. So I'm sitting there thinking, holy cow, I am rapidly working my way to being irrelevant. Now, you could still, you know, back then I could have stuck to it and could have had a good practice, uh, have built built the foundation of my practice doing that. But it's hard. Yeah. It's really hard. You know, back to what you asked earlier. And so that was kind of the impetus when I started looking like, man, there's got to be a better way to do this. Started yeah. looking at guys like you. Right. So there's got to be a better way to attract clients to my base. Yeah. And, you know, also, I would say, get out in front of the message. I mean, what do you uh, and, you know, sometimes I'm sure it's challenging in what you do, too, because of the fact that, you know, you talk to a guy like me. I know I need stuff, but I don't ever have time. Right. So, you know, one of the things that we learned early on is we'll do a lunch and learn. And, you know, you entice people to come out and, you know, for a free steak and they wind up listening to you and they go, wow. So you really have to figure out ways to connect. So how did you start with. uh, So you decided uh, basically, you know, the the cold calling, the phone calling is uh, is going to be obsolete at some point. But before I go there, I want to ask you. For most financial planners, say, in this market, let's just say in this market, are they still following that model? Because I'll be honest with you, I don't see them online. So right. what are they using to uh, you know, entice new people, make new relationships and the like? So I'm going to answer your question and then I'll make a note for when we circle back. You know, a lot of the, a lot of the choices and decisions I made, particularly to the marketing, were born out of frustration. So I'll come back to that. And then so for my particular industry, you know, I have a saying with my industry. It's a huge industry, but it's a small family. And inside that small family, you have a pretty diverse set of, of advisors and planners. And a lot of it, Philip, it comes more often than not, it comes down to where are they situated at uh, from a corporate or a business level and or how long have they been in the business? Now, you know, for many advisors and, and you know, I'm, I'm sure you have associates and, and uh, relationships with some where they've been around long enough that they did that kind of knuckle grinding work in the beginning. The social media thing came, didn't really hurt them, didn't really help them. You know, they, they get client in-house client referrals. They have a base that kind of feeds them. And, you know, to me, to those guys, I always say, you know, if you've got five years or less, I, I don't think I would change a thing, right? I really wouldn't. So our message has always been to the ones that are coming in, you know, there's there's nothing wrong with picking up the phone and calling somebody, emailing somebody, maybe walking around, you know, pre-COVID introducing yourself at businesses. Those things still work, right? They're still effective. They maybe are not efficient, but they're effective. The problem is, back to your point, is you're relying on timing, you know, you're relying on a busy person, probably what your target market, because we, we tend to go after similar folks for the most part. 
and you're relying on your parachute into this person's life at the exact moment that they have a need, or you're relying on your sales skills to create that need, which creates its own set of, of problems down the sure. road, right? So for, you know, for us, it was, it, I kept it really simple. You and I both will walk out of here, and if it wasn't you know, raining and cold today, we could go walking down Dolphin Street, and about every other person we would see would be staring at what? Phone. Their phone. Sure. So I kept it really simple in the beginning. I, I said, I just want to be where people are looking, when they're looking, and how they're looking. And I just want to keep it that simple. And I, you know, that was the first time in my life that inbound versus outbound marketing became something that I, I paid attention to. Sure. Because I would suspect that we were actually we're going to look it up and we're going to do a little research just because yes. I'm curious. I would suspect that there's not a ton of people that are just sitting there Googling financial planner, financial advisor. That's going to be something that it's a referral, like what you're saying, which I call social media a passive media, like a search engine where they're searching is more active. You know, you're going to have it to where they're actually looking for that. And with you know Facebook and Instagram and the like, uh, that's a passive. You know they're just happen to be searching, staring at their phone, and all of a sudden they go, "Wow!" So the challenge of coming up with that message, you know, how do you break the person? We'll go a little technical here. You know, we're all in alpha. You know, one of the one of the things humanity does is try to conserve calories, so we go into these automation mode. We don't have to think, and but in order to get someone to respond, you've got to break their uh, into beta to you know break their concentration, you know, you can do it generally speaking in three ways with a something they're very familiar with, a smell, a, a view of something, you know, that they're familiar with or could be a, a gecko uh, selling insurance, you know, something odd. Or, of course, fear is another one that will break us out of that mode. So what is your tactic on trying to get people to notice you? Well, I want to make a note on something you said just a minute ago, though, with the referral source. So in our in our line of work, I would say if you could put all the numbers on a piece of paper, that the referral part of it, the raw, you know, Philip has a buddy who asked for his opinion on, on a, a financial advisor or CPA or attorney. Philip gives that opinion. The guy reaches out to him and off they go. There's absolutely, that's probably still as much or more than any of the things. What is happening though, and we see it real time with our own practice is, one, people are used, getting more used to, COVID just accelerated, finding what they're looking for online, dig, digging deep on it and seeing if they want to explore far, further by reaching out. Absolutely. We, at this point, our website generates roughly about one quality lead every couple of weeks, right? And these are people I've never met. They were not referred to me. They just happen to be searching whatever terms. I try to accumulate those so I kind of pay attention to them. They actually do search financial advisor in a, in a certain area, but a lot of times they'll search a question, who can help me with? Sure. How does this work? Right. Yeah. That's called SERP, S-C-R-P, search engine. uh, It's a protocol that's being used because everything's going verbal. You you think about it. You ask your little Google. You say, okay, Google, uh, who's the best financial advisor? And if you have your words written on your website correctly, it will say, you know, according to Gulf Coast Financial Advisors, here it is. So you really want to have those SERP terms uh, throughout your website where FAQ might be something that can help you in order to uh, garner more uh, searches and the like. Well, and then the second part on that before I segue to the next one is you've got the in-house referrals, you've got people just finding you on the website, but then I think one of the critical third legs that uh, where a lot of advisors are struggling with is nowadays Philip refers somebody, refers a CPA or an attorney or a financial advisor to his buddy, was well, buddy 
respects Philip's word, respects his referral, but he goes and does his own research. So I always felt like it's vitally important to have a robust online presence. That's one of the things we focused on. So now when someone goes and, and looks up, you know, Johnny, our producer, said earlier that Josh Knoll Financial will find you a lot of stuff on me. Well, now they can dig in. They can feel like they can know me. And more importantly, Philip, if if I if someone has two referrals and they are someone that goes to Google or does some type of search and I am sitting there, I've got 10, 20, 30 results and the other guy's a ghost, well, what do you think they're gonna they're gonna naturally lean towards? Oh yeah. I had a guy one time tell me, because way a long time ago when everybody had jackhammers on their website, you know, under construction. Yes. You're probably too young to even remember. No, I remember that. that. I was yeah. around for the birth of the internet, kind sure. of. They said, Yeah, well, I saw that your your uh, website was so much better than everybody else's, so we picked you. That's right. And it's it's weird, I mean, for no other reason than that. But you know, of course, if your marketing it sells you before you're there, and of course, if you don't live up to your marketing, then you're a liar and that won't go well for you either. That's right. Tell me some things that have been really the biggest challenges in trying to figure it out because there's not a playbook out there for you guys. No. No, and you had asked earlier about, you know, the alpha and the beta and how how we got their attention. One of the things, and this should help your listeners, uh, particularly if they're in a service-oriented industry, one of the decisions we made, and it sounds so simple now, it sounds so easy coming out of my mouth, but I, and maybe it was a product of the fact that I was already a grown man when I came in the industry, but I decided, you know what, I'm not, I'm going to be me. I'm going to be myself. I'm yeah. going to tell my story. And I thought coming down here to South Alabama on the Gulf Coast and being this country boy from the middle of nowhere would be a detriment. And I found quite opposite. I found that it helped people kind of latch on to who I was. It kind of helped them, you know, kind of get a grasp on the fact that I grew up pretty blue collar. And it kind of helped them get to know me in a way that allowed the rest of my message now to start resonating. Because, you know, for better or worse, they knew that I didn't grow up with, you know, a country club setting or anything like that. Or, you know, I didn't come into this because I had a wealthy family that got me started. They kind of learned that, hey, man, I, I bootstrapped this sucker, right? Yeah, that's and, right. And yeah, out of necessity. Out of necessity. Yeah, you wound up in the construction business at the peak and when it busted, you had to go. Mama's got a. Uh, I got a wife and two yeah, kids. Yeah, you got man. a wife, two kids. That's yes. right. Mama's got to pay the rent. Yeah, we got wife, two kids, one on the way. You know, we had to get to work. So, to answer your question on you know the challenges, you know, one particularly, I don't mean to keep picking on my industry. It's it's a, a really robust, it's a fascinating industry that is really cutting edge in a lot of ways. But when it comes to the marketing side, typically we lag. Now, there's a reason why we lag because the rules that govern our marketing, our advertising, literally were written written 50 60 70 years ago i mean they're so outdated they were you know forget forget social media they were some of them were written before email existed right and so i knew i had to i had to navigate those things and one of the ways that you know one of the the frustration part was well how can i do this around compliance and that's that's a, a journey we took that we had to be really thoughtful because that's one of the areas where FINRA, which regulates broker dealers, brokers, things like that, can really hammer you. Eventually, what it led to, Philip, is we we dropped FINRA registration, went fee only. SEC has a a, a little bit more broad interpretation of, hey, you know, it's not so much what you say, what's the intent, what do you, what's the message you're relaying, and then we decided just to be ourselves, be honest, and not go on there and sell stuff. We just decided to tell our story, right? I think you were one of the first ones that introduced me to Story Brand uh, by I think his name's Donald Oliver, yeah, right, and that was a huge turning point for us. Like you know, that was really just validation. If I'll tell my story, be honest, not be a product pusher, but show people how I can be the guide. Because at that point, I thought I was a daggum hero. Yeah, right? you got yourself out of order. That's right. 
right. Right. And then, they're the hero. Yeah. You're the guide. Got to get the guide. And once once we learned how to navigate those landmines, if you will, and made the choice of telling our story and being authentic and being ourselves, that's why you you said you mentioned earlier. I don't really have anybody else in you know for better or worse. Uh, I'm sure I will at some point, but locally, no one is going to be as robustly found online as we are right now. Sure. And you're spending a lot of time in developing content that you feel is going to be relative. Absolutely. Talk to me about the process of relative content. You know, where do you come up with your ideas on what's relative? Are you looking for a particular type of business owner? Like for me, I look at operational maturity of an organization. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you find that an organization just started, a lot of times, unless they have some funding and they're really, you know, they're really a player and they really mapped it out and they're, they're going to, they've got a plan and they're going to execute in the plan, most of the time they're, uh, you know, got a wife and two kids at home trying to pay the rent that wouldn't be a necessarily usually a client or then they kind of go into that right. next phase of muscle and feel and then they get into process what's your process for finding the right mix for the people that you help the most our line of work is similar to a doctor or a physician line of work whereas the more specialty you get the more uh, you go from being wide to narrow and deep right yep. so what as as my practice has evolved and like most people that come in the industry when i first started you know, I was just looking for somebody that would talk to me, right? I, I really wasn't that discriminatory. Um, I wanted, you know, somebody had a need, man, I'm here, I'm Johnny on the spot. Yes, I can, let's do it. And then as the practice has evolved, what has has been a natural progression based on my background of being, you know, an entrepreneur, haven't had a W-2 and you know, since I was young in my early 20s, was we really started steering it towards the needs of business owners located along the Gulf Coast. In fact, Philip, we even, back to your thing about intentionality, we even spelled out on our website, you know, we serve the financial planning needs of busy and engaged business owners living an active lifestyle along the Gulf Coast. I mean, we spell it out, right? Sure. So when we spell it out, then now you start paying attention. One, you have the questions that you would have as a business owner, but if you'll just listen to the questions and the needs that you're your ideal client base is having and write those down, then form your content around those questions. Now you're on to something because what you want to do is go in there and say something about something you're so smart about. Yep. But nine times out of 10, what you think you're so smart about, one is not that interesting to your target market and two, you're really not that smart anyway. So we just started listening to our client base. Yeah, they say that uh, the curse of knowledge. Yes. And that may have come from StoryBrand. I'm not sure. So it all runs together for me. But, yeah, and they say that, you know, you think, oh, yeah, I'm going to dumb it down, and you get it, you're get you a 10 at something, or, you know, you're right. very knowledgeable on it. You get it to a 7. That's still buying, you know, real understanding happens at a 3. Yeah, so that's something I think that's Which, which has been good important. for me because a lot of the stuff, as you, you know, you are have been a, a real light leading example for me. You're one of the ones that really made me in an industry that doesn't pay attention to their website as much. You're one of the ones that kind of spurred me to pay attention to mine. You know, that's one of the things that that I've learned over time is as you're going through this process, you think you're doing it for marketing, which you are. You think you're doing it for prospecting, which you are. You think you're doing it for relationship building, which you are. One of the byproducts that you don't realize is you're getting like an MBA in these topics as you're doing it. That's right. I mean, I have learned more from my podcast myself I've a process discovery as much as we've put the information out there. And I think that's been a huge win for us. Yeah, absolutely. And you're understanding more about what your client's looking for, you know, the the comments that come back. And, you know, uh, I tell you one thing that uh, we're fixing to do right now is an ask campaign. Okay. You know, just recently, I, you know, I purchased the company and all these things. And, you know, I want to know how close I am to 
uh, what I think my client wants to what they really want to say, maybe even put together like a partner council, you know, six, eight, ten companies that would come and spend a half a day with me and I'll, you know, treat them, you know, to great surroundings, a massage or some wine. And, and then what we could spend a few hours to get to understand them better, I think, is probably the one thing, because, you know, we start swimming in our own tank of water and we may lose what we're actually after in what we're really after is to solve somebody else's problem. That's when the bigger problem you can solve, the more value you have. And therefore, the more v- valuable you are, the more revenue or the more money that you can make. Well, and I want to make a point related to that. So, you know, for again, for the listeners not familiar where you and I live and we work, we're, we're not too far from wonderful bodies of water, right? So you and I are outdoors people. We're on boats. We're at the beach. We're fishing. We're doing all this stuff. you got a wonderful place, outdoor place. And, you know, one of the things that I akined the efforts I was doing was hooks in the water. And the reason I bring that up is a lot of times, especially if someone has only done the traditional style of prospecting and maybe only dip their toe in marketing, they think you've got to completely give up some of those things to go this direction. Or, or they think that you just sit in front of a computer all day long and post things. That can be further from the truth. Sure. Yeah, you've still got to get out there. You still, the webinars, the seminars, you know, once we're allowed to gather in public, uh, you know, in, in a normal basis, you know, meeting people, shaking hands, kissing babies, it all goes together. That's right. It all goes together. It's just another dimension. It it's, really is. But it's a great dimension. I had a guy uh, at a keynote uh, in Orlando, and uh, it was at IT Nation, and he picked up his phone from the, the podium, and he said, this has destroyed the ability to sell, is what the way he kind of framed it, because people think they don't need you. Right. You know, and again, it's always been that people want to buy, they don't want to be sold. So we have to use this medium in order to inform them in a way that is engaging so that they will listen. And, you know, to get them into that beta mindset so that they will listen to us. And I think you I think you're really on to it. I guess one final question. Where do you see this going? Right. That's a great question. So let me tell you kind of how I view my role, and then I'll tell you where I think this thing's going. So let's take uh, financial fitness, for example. There's really, at this point, Philip, with all the information out there, there's not a person on earth that doesn't know kind of what they should be eating or how they should be exercising or how to get a gym membership or how to go in there and maybe throw you know, a couple of machines or weights around, right? Everybody can kind of put two and two together. But what I always ask people is if you are the rare exception where you have the discipline and the encouragement to do that on your own and you get maximum results, then keep doing it on your own. You sure. don't you don't necessarily need a guide. But if you're like the rest of us, myself included, that if I can show you my life where I've had someone by my side give me some direction, some encouragement, and some accountability, I can show you the results that I, that I achieved doing follow the same daggone rules, but I can show you how different the results were from from that exercise, having someone there with me. So I think in our, you know, segueing to ours, that's my role is we're kind of like your financial fitness coach to a certain degree. You know how to do this stuff. It's not it's the same stuff your grandma taught you. Save more than you spend, spend less than you make, put some money away, you know, try pay the tax man a fair amount, but you don't have to overpay him and all this stuff. It's fair it's easy stuff. But when you got somebody there by your side encouraging and holding you accountable and walking with you on that path as a guide I think more often than not, sometimes you, you tend to see better results. So where we see it, you know, we've always set it up. I named it Gulf Coast Financial Advisors for a reason. I wanted people to know what we did and where we did it. 
The idea was always to grow along the Gulf Coast for a particular clientele, people that are engaged out there you know, in the community, out there doing active things. You know, hopefully, eventually, as we grow, we're looking, we'd like to be New Orleans to maybe Panama City. Right now, the, you know, the next, if you looked at my, my master plan of how, you know, dominate the world kind of thing, really it's about, you know, here, here in our area, you've got four pockets of, of area where our clientele would be, would be Mobile, Eastern Shore, Pensacola, and then down towards the beaches down where you're at. And so if we can develop a presence there, maybe bring on other advisors that serve that in the right mindset so they fit our overall mantra, and then we grow from there and as something that akins to when technology, the technology is coming, it's already here, and it's not going to get any easier. And if you want to be a dinosaur about it, then you'll be a dinosaur, you will go extinct. But if you will embrace that, add the human element to that, and, and take those two superpowers like you do in your work, now you've got something that you simply cannot create just with a with a phone or a computer. Great. Well, Josh, I'd like to thank you so much for uh, joining our program. I know there's been a ton of information here that people can uh, you know, be motivated off of and also even see some things that you've done in your life as far as a lot of times the shortest distance between two points is a straight line, but that's not how life takes us. And you know, out of even necessity at times and then even desire how really providentially things work out. Right. So. Well, and it's, I think it's a story, too, a lot of times of just putting one foot in front of the other. You know, yep. you've, you've probably had points in your career where you weren't necessarily doing exactly what you wanted to do in that moment, but you were planning for the, what you were working towards, right? Yeah. It's probably, I think, we're, we stay in that boat a lot yep. because we're always thinking of tomorrow, you know, and, and, you know, so we're always getting ourselves a little more out of a comfort zone. So thank you so much. And uh, if you guys would like to follow up, if you'd like to connect with Josh, all you have to do, you can simply click on the link below. You can fill out the form there. And I'd be happy to connect you with Josh. Uh, I you know, wholeheartedly uh, believe in what he's doing. I think it really is special what you're doing. And uh, Josh and I have had a lot of uh, interactions on on really what I'm trying to do. And I don't think what I'm trying to do is much different than other business guys. Maybe they don't uh, they haven't had the coaching I've had and the, the the ability to articulate it. But I appreciate you. Well, vision's a difference. Yeah, you you have unusual vision. So I will say that yes, but. Thank you very much for having me. I enjoyed this. I, I love this and a huge fan of you and everything you're doing at your company. It's time to go inside Phillips Head Thoughts of the Month. For my Thought of the Month, I wanted to share a concept that was really eye-opening to me recently. And I was thinking about, you know, using the resources around you and how best to use them. And in a lot of ways, especially as leaders and business owners, we find ourselves kind of not really having relationships close by within our staff that we can share, you know, everything to its fullest content sometimes. And so we need a, a peer group. We need somebody that we can reach out to and, and talk with. And what I was thinking about is we we really need help sometimes. I'll just class it as help. But we need it maybe in two different veins. And let me explain that a little bit. One vein, you may need help as far as moral support, somebody to encourage you or somebody to you know, help you in a, some specific areas that are related more to you know, ideas and uh, emotions. And then there's another type of support that we often need that where we need someone with a technical skill set. And I think it's important that we really think about where we're getting our counsel from. What just reminded me is uh, one of the, my first pastors, he had a phrase written 
written on a board in his office and it said, you know, be careful where you get your counsel from. So here's the concept. What I'm saying here is that if you need something that is technical, you need to go to somebody who's an expertise or try to find somebody that has some experience in that particular area of expertise. And if you need somebody who can more reassure you or give you some confidence in some areas, you know, go to that type of resource. And really what you need to do whenever you're fixing to go uh, to thinking about a problem is you need to think about what type of problem it is and class it first and then go receive counsel from that type of person that's going to really fit your needs. And I really experienced that in a real way here in the last week. And I was struggling with something and I was going to people who really knew less about it than I did. And yet they were giving me a lot of of uh, moral support and you know things of that nature, which is great, but it really wasn't solving my problem. And whenever I began to think about what kind of problem it was, I said, hey, that's a technical type problem. And I immediately thought of a guy, called him, literally within 30 minutes, he had already emailed me over some documents that, that really set me on my course to uh, not only feeling better about the situation, but also being able to have the tools in order to resolve the situation. Go out and make it happen. You've been listening to Success Failed with Philip Long. Check out AskBIS.com, brought to you by BIS.